0: We're gonna be in 2 Corinthians this morning. That's on page 563 if you're using one of our Blue Bibles that you picked up off of the communion tables. Um, 2 Corinthians, we're gonna be in chapter eight and we're gonna read verses one through 15. And per usual, as I'm learning my style, um, I'm gonna have you turn there and then I'm gonna preface for like seven minutes before we even read the passage, okay? But if you're already there, it's kind of nice. You have that security. You're already where you need to be, all right? 2 Corinthians chapter eight, verses one, Through 15, all right? So uh, just to recap where we've been in this Easter season, we've been celebrating resurrection life and looking into, in the past few weeks, some of the implications, you know, that Jesus not only died but resurrected and what that means for us as, as a people. You know, if you follow Jesus, it's a big deal that he did, in fact, resurrect from the grave. So a few weeks ago, we talked about loving our neighbors. We had that handout and tried to get really practical about loving our neighbors. Last week we talked about the invitation to come and to die so that we could live. This idea that, that Jesus says, Hey, if you'll come to me with open hands, let me have everything you got, I'll fill you with life and life abundantly, celebrating the fact that we die to sin and we resurrect to life and life abundantly. It's really, really this beautiful picture. And you know, when you look at the story of the New Testament, you see that there are so many implications because Jesus resurrected. Like you watch as the disciples who were once cowardly, right, in one moment when Jesus is being arrested and murdered, they all flee. But once Jesus resurrects from the dead, you watch them all just take on this incredible courage, all eventually going to die for their faith. You you watch these disciples who, when Jesus in the garden said, pray for me, all they could manage to do was pray while being asleep, right, which probably wasn't prayer at all, they just kept falling asleep. After Jesus resurrects, they all gather in this upper room and they pray for like 10 straight days waiting on the Holy Spirit. You watch this church in Acts 4 erupt. They're, they're generous. They're known for singing hymns and listening to teachings and breaking bread. And they were also known for, for sharing everything as if it wasn't their own. Like there's these incredible things that happen. When we get a glimpse of Jesus being alive, of God being present in our lives, there are some real implications. And so today, we're going to kind of hone in on a specific implication, all right? And it's going to be this idea of generosity, all right? Generosity in the kingdom of heaven, okay? We're going to kind of look at what generosity looks like when we're dealing with God's economy this morning, okay? And as I said that, uh, you know, it's kind of connected to what we already just gave to. I didn't want to do this thing where I talked for 25 minutes about generosity and then said, and coincidentally, we're going to ask you to give, right? It's like, so we took care of that, but now we're going to talk about a heart thing, Because today feels that, you know, I love when I talk through a passage to be really practical. Hey, here's three things you could step into. Today feels more like a posture conversation, a posture of the heart. So you may not leave with like three or four ways to step into generosity, but my hope is today's a conversation where you go, God, I want my heart to take on this posture when I'm thinking about uh, life in the kingdom and what I do with the resources I have. Now, the minute I said generosity, a lot of us immediately started like screenshotting our bank accounts in our head. And our college students are like, okay, I've got $74 to my name. Like, I gotta buy cups of ramen, some bottled water, I gotta live, Joshua, please do not ask me for a whole lot more than what I have right now, okay? We got nervous. Some of us are like, man, I want my broke kids to get to college some point, I'm saving up, right? Like the idea of generosity, we immediately just start kind of gripping the things. You know, I was thinking about, Well, my dad, when I was like in, it's like 1996, I was like six or seven years old at this point and he got me a PlayStation. And PlayStation was a huge deal. All I had was Nintendo at that point, you know, it was like a D-pad and A and the B button. It was a very simple system. The PlayStation came out though and there was like a triangle and a circle and an X and a square and there was all these cool little buttons and it was really fun. And my dad got me this gift, right? I didn't earn this gift. My dad got it to me out of his generosity. And I remember within like 10 minutes, he started playing the PlayStation that he had just got me out of his generosity, right? He got me a gift. And he started playing it and I was like, oh, this is fun, my dad gets the, are you done? Yeah, like, that's I, 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 my PlayStation. Like, let's be honest, I, thank you, thank you, but it's mine now. Like, I have possession of it, right? Or like, if you set like any like amount of two-year-olds in a room with toys, it's amazing how quickly they stake their claim. I was with one of my friends the, the other week and they went to, we went to the YMCA and watched his kids play with all the toys and it was amazing how immediately territorial these little kids were. Like they went and they found their like little thing to jump on and it was immediately their area. And when a kid would come over, they would literally like be like, hey, hold up, what's going on? This is my block that I'm playing with, right? It's like kind of instinctive. Like that's just kind of our instinct. And that's kind of what I wanna talk about today. I wanna to address how the posture of our hearts change when we're dealing with the economy of heaven. How our instinct to hold on to be tight-fisted, how that changes when God says, actually, I'm the giver. I'm the provider of the resources. And with me, you never run out. Like, you'll always be taken care of. So you don't have to be so tight-fisted, so territorial with the things that you would consider your own. And we're going to look at all this in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 through 15. Now, we're going to interrupt a letter that this apostle Paul, this follower of Jesus, is writing to this group of people called the Corinthians. And before we read these verses, I want you to understand who we're talking about and his relationship with the Corinthians, okay? Because he's gonna make some bold requests to these people. And if you don't understand the relationship, it'll feel a little off-putting, honestly. So Paul has, uh, has been to this city called Corinth. He hung there for a, for a year and a half, about 18 months. He planted a church there. He did real life in the dirt ministry In Corinth, okay? So when we're reading this letter, we're reading a letter from someone who really knows this group of people, all right? He's not some stranger taking some weird place of authority. He knows these people. He's ministered with these people. He's suffered with these people, and he's kept in constant contact. In fact, it's 2 Corinthians because this is the second time he's writing to them, okay? So that's important. We're reading a a guy who has a relationship with this group of people. And then secondly, I want you to understand the fundraising context So Paul's going to be asking for funding. And here's what he's doing. The church in Jerusalem, is not in Corinth, in Jerusalem, has been suffering from a drought for five plus years, okay? Now, these Jewish Christians are in Palestine, where the Romans charge double taxes of any Jews, okay? And potentially, since he's asking for funding on behalf of Christian Jews, There's potential that those Christian Jews are even more isolated from the Jewish community, therefore have less and less resource. Does this make sense? Did I go too fast? Okay, so church in Jerusalem, suffering in major need. The apostle Paul going around asking other churches in the surrounding areas, hey, there's a church in need. I'm asking you to give to that church. So Paul is fundraising. He's not fundraising for himself. He's fundraising for a church in need. Does that make sense? Are we with me? Yes. Okay. So he's fundraising. All right. So as you read this, keep those things in mind. He knows these people. He loves these people. He's fundraising on behalf of a church in Jerusalem. Okay. And he's about to give us a picture of what it looks like to operate in the family of God, especially with our resources. So we're going to read verses one through 15, then we'll walk through it. And uh, I'll decide if I should have read all these verses. It might be long. Let's see. We'll explore together. We'll process together. We'll have a Q and A. Chapter 8, verse 1, 2 Corinthians. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. We'll explain that later. It's a weird thought. Their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part, for they gave In knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also, in that giving, that's that act of grace, giving. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. For you know that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. Note that was a Jesus juke in verse 9. And in this matter, I give my judgment. This benefits you, who a year ago started not only to do this work, but also to desire to do it. So now finish doing it as well so that your readiness in desiring it may be matched by your completing it out of what you have. For if the readiness is there, it's acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. For I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but that as a matter of fairness, Your abundance at the present time should supply their need, so that their abundance may supply your need, that there may be fairness. As it is written, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. All right, I need to ask your permission for something, and I'm going to do it no matter what, but I'd love to know that you're okay with it. Can we just geek out on this passage for like 20 minutes? Is that cool if we, we're gonna nerd out a little bit. We're gonna really dig into what we just read and I'm gonna give you some facts and I hope you can just journey with me as we get to know a little bit about Paul and what he's asking of this Corinthian people, all right? Agua. Anyway, let's start out with verses one through five, all right? So immediately he starts talking about this Macedonian church. Now you're gonna notice Paul is gonna be smart right here, Okay. In like the latter half of what we just read, he's gonna ask them for giving, but he spends the first half kind of warming them up, right? Anytime you're gonna ask someone to do something hard, you kind of you warm them up to the ask, right? Good strategy, just take notes. If you're a boss or a parent or a leader or a disciple maker, watch Paul's strategy here, okay? He prefaces very well. Does anyone do pour-overs of coffee? Does anyone do pour-overs? Ever seen a pour-over done? There's this time where, you don't make the coffee first. You drizzle water over the coffee grounds and you let it sit for a minute. And as it's touched hot water, this thing called the bloom, the, the, the coffee releases the bitter gases. And after about a minute, you can complete your pour and it's ready for a good cup of coffee. The first few verses are Paul doing that little bloom. Let the toxic gases release. Let's say some things. I'm not gonna ask you yet. Here's some things you need to know, and then we'll get to it. So let's look at his preface for a little bit. So he starts with the Macedonian churches. He goes, hey, the churches, even though they've they've suffered affliction, although they're in extreme poverty, they've overflowed in a wealth of generosity. So he gives an example. You probably had someone do this. Hey, do you notice how well your brother cleaned his room? Isn't that incredible? Isn't that amazing? He had a busy week. How's your room looking, right? First, let's notice the brother. Let's notice the good example. Let's get you in on the story. And then let's invite. He goes, hey, there's these churches in Macedonia, Philippi, Thessalonica, some other churches. And to be clear, they have been uh, absolutely pummeled by the Roman empire. They're in extreme poverty. The Roman officials have come and taken advantage of them. They have very little. Your churches in Macedonia are hurting. They're in extreme poverty, And yet, they are eager to give to this need. He goes, hey, anytime I'm about to ask for giving, we immediately start thinking quantity. I've only got this much, so I don't know anymore. But Paul's going to go ahead and address that tension from the get-go. You've got brothers and sisters in poverty, but when brothers and sisters in poverty live in the kingdom of God, that does not have a say over their generosity. Incredible concept. Because when I think about giving, I think about what I have. That is the negotiation I'm having. God, I want to give, but let me first have a meeting with my bank account, and that's going to determine a lot of how this thing goes, right? But Paul goes, you've got brothers and sisters in Macedonia, and he gives them a picture of what life looks like in the kingdom of God. Although they are in extreme poverty, they ask for the favor to support the saints in Jerusalem and even to give a personal gift to Paul incredible heart. She so goes, hey, here's a story. Here's an example of a community other than yourselves fully functioning in the family of God, okay? So there's the Macedonians. Then in verse seven, he's going to do this thing that I call loving and leading. This is all in the preface category, loving and leading. It's where you start out with a nice compliment and then ask for something, right? It's just a good strategy. And it's authentic. It's not fake. It's a real compliment. It's where you go like something like, man, you've been doing this so well, can I just tell you, like, you've just been doing so great. Also, can I ask you to do something else, right? It's like that, oh, man, thank you for speaking life into me. Oh, you wanted something. I get it. And it worked because I'm encouraged and I believe in myself, so I can do the thing you just asked me to do. That's what Paul's going to do in verse 7. All right, watch this. He goes, but as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. He's like, look, I've ministered with you. I know you. Let me just tell you something. You've done so great. Your faith is strong, man. Your knowledge is growing. Like you are, you are showing fruit, good job. And the, Corinthian, the Corinthians as they're reading this letter are just like, he's right. Have you seen our faith grow? Let's just, let's just pause before we read the rest of the letter praise the Lord, thank you for growing our faith and our knowledge and our speech. You really have matured us. And then Paul goes, now let me invite you into this act of grace, all right? And that might seem manipulative. It is absolutely not. I think it's beautiful. This is exactly how Jesus operates. He always comes to us and goes, he meets us where we are. He goes, here's who you are. My child, my son, my daughter, here's the life I've seen you. Here's what you're doing great. But Jesus Always eager to meet us where we are is never eager to leave us there, right? That's the journey of God. He meets us where we are, he calls us deeper. That's the pattern of the gospel, it's a beautiful thing. So there's this moment where Paul goes, you're doing great here, let me invite you deeper. Here's some loving, you're doing great, here's some leadership, let's go deeper. Let's move ahead to verse nine. For you know that this is all still prefacing, the ask. "...for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that that you by his poverty might become rich." He goes, look, before I get to the major ask here, please don't forget that Jesus is now and forever the precedent, all right? You will never give more than Jesus, right? Right? You will never accomplish that feat. Before I ask you to give it yourself, let's remember the one in whom we exist for, the one who invited us to follow him. Jesus himself was the richest of the richest in the kingdom of heaven, in all of its glory, in all of its perfection. All he had to do was be, per- be perfect and hear his praises saying to himself and just live in heaven. And he gives it all away, comes to the earth, where we, having no ability to enter into that great kingdom of heaven and perfection and glory and grace, he substitutes all his riches, becomes poor, becomes human, becomes the poorest of the poor, that we might experience the riches of the goodness of God. So that before I ask for something, please remember, Jesus has first and foremost done this in the best of ways, and we can never match that, which is pretty beautiful, Right? Okay, I thought that'd be more powerful in the moment. That's sick. I love that Jesus did that. That's so cool. So there's an important note that Paul goes, hey, before I get into this ask, we start with Jesus. Here's a story about someone else that's doing it, so you know you can. Here's some encouragement. Be encouraged. I'm gonna call you deeper. And lastly, and most importantly, remember that we are not asking you to do something on your own. Jesus has done it first and foremost, and he's also promised his presence. So you don't do this alone. The same spirit that led Jesus to do this is the same spirit that's in you. All right, now we get in to the invitation, okay? Verses 10 and 11. And in this matter, I give my judgment. This benefits you, who a year ago started not only to do this work, but also to desire to do it. So now finish doing it as well. He's going, look, a year ago, you had this desire, this moment where you wanted to give. You were in on this we had a big talk, we showed an emotional video, you loved it, you were moved, you couldn't believe all those interviews with those kids, and you were like, man, sign me up, I wanna give monthly to this good cause. That's not what happened because it was 1,000 years ago, that technology did not exist. But you get what I'm saying. There was this moment where the Corinthians were moved to give, and Paul's going, hey, don't let this movement, this generosity in your heart die at just a dream. And when I was thinking about our context, no one loves dreaming and being moved by good ideas more than the American people, right? We love this. The most fun phase about loving people is the idea of loving people. That's the best thing, right? The most exciting thought about starting a multi-million dollar company is the idea of starting it, right? And typically, if you're like me, that's where it can end, right? It ends with the idea. Like, man, that would have been... Think about it. Let me just get lost for a second while I'm a barista. How good it would have been to start that company, right? That man, that would have been cool. Golly. Yeah, I almost did. I almost did. You should hear this idea that almost happened, right? And Paul's going, look, that's not just an American thing. Paul's going, look, it's a human tendency to be moved in such a way, emotionally stirred. In fact, to hear from the Spirit, to be provoked, to step into this deeper commitment of being in the family of God. But it's kind of in us to fall in love with the thought and to not see it through. And Paul goes, right now, I'm gonna ask you, don't leave this act of obedience or this act of commitment at the, obedient, or at the uh, idea stage, at the desire stage. Don't leave this at prayer. Let it lead to practitioner, right? Don't just be prayerful. Practice what you're praying. Don't just desire it. Act on the desire. Complete that which was started in your heart. Then in verse 13, he's going to this is like when we're going to get into the meat, all right? He's going to address what it's not an invitation to do and what it is an invitation to do, okay? So in verse 13, kind of the first half, let's be clear on what it is not. For I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened. Okay? So let's be clear. This is not a call to like poverty for poverty's sake. I'm not asking you to to give up all of your resources, give them to someone else so that you in turn have no resources and they now have all of the resources, which is interesting, right? That sounds like a a kind gesture, but Paul goes, I'm not asking you to empty everything you got so that someone else now has everything and really the situations just reverse. That's all that happened, right? So this is not like some call to poverty and I think this is important because when we hear about generosity, especially in the kingdom, I don't know about you, but for some reason, I always think, okay, so I gotta give up everything. And that is a daunting thought, right? God may in fact call you to give up everything, but Paul's saying right here, I'm not asking you to give up everything so that they can have everything and you can have nothing. That's not what I'm doing. And the reason I think this is an important thing to know, this is an important crossroads to come to, is if God is calling you to generosity, and you misunderstand the calling, and you feel this huge ask, and you don't feel able to step into it, a lot of times that causes us to cancel out any act of obedience at all, right? We see that this thing feels a hundred steps that way, and we're we're, we're intimidated by the hundred steps, so we don't even take one step, right? So this call to generosity is not a call to give everything away so that you are emptied, although God may put that calling on your heart, right? But it is a call to like take a step into life in the kingdom of God, dealing with the economy of heaven. So he goes, hey, look, this is not about you emptying everything, you're you're emptying yourself of everything. But finish verse 13. But that as a matter of fairness, your abundance at the present time should supply their need so that their abundance may supply your need, that there may be fairness This word really got me good this week. He didn't go as a matter of the abundance of your heart or the overflow of your kindness or the overflow of your compassion, which you give. He goes as a matter of, what's the word he uses? Fairness. Say it again, as a matter of fairness. Fairness. Interesting, Paul. I would rather you tell me as a matter of the goodness of my heart how great I'm doing, how compassionate I am, man, how selfless I was. No, he goes, you're now functioning in the kingdom of God, as noted with the Macedonian churches, right? You're in the kingdom of God. And when you're in the kingdom of God, you are a part of a family that is bigger than yourself. Okay? And in the family of God, in any family, the logic of the I earn this mentality, therefore I own this is out the window. This is true. In your families, if I ask you, if I'm like, yo, Scott, can I have a thousand dollars? Like, is that cool? He's like, I'm what's it for? Probably not, is my gut feeling, but what's going on, right? You and me can have some questions. If your mom or your dad goes, I'm in need, I need thousand dollars, that thousand dollars is a lot less expensive than the thousand dollars I asked for, right? Why? Because our heart is motivated by love for the family, right? When a family member, did I do a bad job explaining that? When family asks for something, it's different than when just some random person asks for something, okay? It becomes a matter of, that's my family, so I take care of my family. I'm not worried about you what you earned or what you did not earn. We're in the same family, so we share resources much easier, right? Does that make sense? Paul goes, you're now operating in the kingdom of God and God is the giver of everything you have, all right? It's all from God anyway. So if you're in a family, and God is the giver of those things, and you have family in need, this is a matter of fairness. Share your resources. Don't be so tight-fisted. Take care of your brothers and sisters. As a matter of fairness, share your resources. There will be a time when you have resources to share with someone else, there will be a time when you yourself need resources. And when the family of God operates as the family of God should operate, there will always be resources available. This is incredible truth. He goes, hey, as a matter of fairness, this is hard for us. This is hard for me. In the American mindset, earn it. What I got, I got on my own. You need to do it yourself. Pull you up by your bootstraps, that kind of like weird notion that you earn it all on your own. Paul goes, no room for that. In the kingdom of God and and the thought of generosity and sharing our resources, it's a matter of fairness. It is from God. It is ours to share. And then in verse 15, he sums it up. As it is written, whoever gathered much had nothing left over and whoever gathered little had no lack. And I read that, had no clue what he was talking about. Sounded like a proverb from like Yoda or something, you know, whoever gathered much had nothing left, I guess Yoda would say it backwards, but nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. But I looked into that passage. It's actually quoting Exodus 16, verse 18. And it's talking about when the Israelite people were in the wilderness and they had nothing to eat, and God provided manna from heaven, miraculous food, crazy stuff. And uh, he's talking about how as people gathered, they got exactly what they needed. Like God provided exactly what they needed because they were his children and he cares. And so he's reminding them, Hey, in the family of God, no matter how much you need or how much you give away, you will have what you need. Like God will provide. It will defy logic at times. It won't make sense at times. You'll have to really pray against worry and fear at times, but God takes care of his family. Don't forget that. And this isn't just true now. This has been true for a long time. We can go back thousands of years to the book of Exodus. God has always provided exactly what his family needed. So some practical steps that aren't going to be super practical, okay? <laughs> Some things that I was pulling away from this that I wanted to just invite you into, because in a second we're going to take communion and we're going to go into worship. As we're thinking about the, the, the conversation surrounding generosity, what does it look like to be in the family of God that is marked by the life of Jesus? What does generosity look like? I wanted to invite you into a couple things. Um, first, I just want to invite you as you take communion to just pray over the posture of your heart. God, I have time I have resources, I have money, I have things that you've been giving me. Will you help my heart to see what's around me and to not be tight fisted with the things that are from you and for you, right? So I just want to invite us, as we're taking communion together, just to pray over the posture of your heart. Ask God to search your heart. Where are places of selfishness? Where are places where I'm tight fisted? Maybe we're in places of worry and anxiety. I'm not sure where this money is going to come from. Maybe it's a call for you just to trust that God has got your back. He will provide. That's one thing. Secondly, there's a practical, there's always this invitation that we just gave you this week, like to give. You know, we share with you a need that some of our church planters and our residents have. So if you're looking for like a practical way to give to something, we've made that invitation explicit this morning on our end. But also I just ask Uh, I would ask God, will you help me to be aware of what's around me? There are so many people that love God that are in need, and if we would have eyes to see, God will provide chances to share resources to encourage a life. I stand here today as a testimony, as what the giving of God's people can do to a life. I'm here because someone said, or uh, quite a few people said, I believe in you, I'll help you on this journey. I couldn't be here otherwise. There are people that that will benefit from us functioning as the family of God. So, you know, pray for the posture of your heart. Um, Consider giving to Ethos, Or if you're going, but I think God's pointing my heart in another context to another community that could really use my help. Do that. Like, follow the spirit there. So I'm going to pray over us. Uh, During this time of communion, um, man, I just invite you just to pray and discern. Like, God, where, where might you be inviting me to show how the kingdom of God works how the economy of heaven functions when you're in control and when I'm your kid. Um, Let's pray. Uh, God, thank you for this morning. Thank you for um, just a place to gather and to speak about your word. God, we love you. I pray over this time of communion. Um, This conversation, to me at least, can feel weird because generosity isn't very like emotional or uh, it doesn't like tug at my heartstrings. It more challenges me. So for those that are on the same page, I pray, God, that you soften our hearts. And give us just simple ways to posture our hearts. And even if you want to give us a step of obedience, show it to us. Um, Lord, thank you for communion. This reminder that Jesus, you came, you took on flesh. That's the bread. You shed your blood. That's the juice. To show us that, that, that you have committed this like, incredible act of generosity um, to your people freely, God. And, and may that be the, the place in which we operate out of. May that lead us to be generous people, to trust you as our provider. Uh, in Jesus' name, amen. Um, Before we get up, 2 Corinthians 9, it says, Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver, and God is able to make all grace abound to you. So just a reminder, this is not like a weird, awkward, hey, make sure you remember to be generous. This is like, man, God has given generously, and he has given us so much, so out of joy we give. So if you feel any kind of obligation or anything, just Just take time to pray. Like God will turn that into a heart of joy. So um, I am invite you to stand up. You can head to the middle of your row and and the people in the front can get communion from the front, from the back can get it from the back. Um, Let's take communion together and then we'll worship.